so tonight um, I would like to explore adventure um, circle around uh, this uh, first this phrase that, that Mary had suggested why don't you just talk about pilgrimage so I actually would like to do that in my usual nonlinear fashion uh, which means you're not, I'm not sure and you're not sure what we're going to get, but we are going to take a little trip here and um, see where we go. So I um, took uh, uh, one of my, uh, actually a poem that I'd written some time ago and I rewrote it for you today. So it's called Pilgrimage uh, Dash Towards Awakening. So why would I want to climb this mountain? Maybe it was yesterday, last week, last month, last year, sometime long ago, long before now. A lightning bolt cut through the darkness of mind's eternal chatter, revealing a majestic snow-covered peak, somehow not knowing if it was real or a dream some impulse deep down, knowing no time to waste. This heart frozen, mind enmeshed in fog, body not to be found, knowing the harsh needs to change us is at hand. Sitting down in remedial silence, watching everything like the sages, seers, seekers, listening, listening, breathing, fidgeting, thoughts like streams of every color darting off, landing nowhere. Was it five days, nine days, waiting for that inner compass, that trusted voiceless instinct? like a sleepwalker, surrendering the mind to the heart. Humbly walking without seeing, zero visibility, but heart knowing its way. Nervous, nervously letting ourselves down on this old path, trodden by so many courageous ones. letting go of the ground we stand on, nervously clinging day after day, breath after breath. So for one moment, the breath, quote, breathed all beings, the breath, quote, breathed all beings, yes, you were always whole. The mountain was you after all. So, I would like to kind of take it back to this, uh, this last fall when I was uh, on this pilgrimage to uh, Mount Kailash.
And um, what it is is you walk um, up the old route that the Shivites took uh, through Nepal along this Karnali River. And then you cross uh, the, the sort of the pinnacle of the Himalayas uh, into, uh, onto the Tibetan Plateau. And I always think of pilgrimage as that somehow you are um, kind of pushing the limits on some level of your capacity um, to let go of some piece of yourself that uh, uh, you have held somehow in captivity. And I think there's two kinds of, uh, I'll just use the word trekking, uh, in the sense that there is the external one, which uh, this is, these pilgrimages represent uh, these journeys, but there's also the internal one, which is very much about what we're doing here, uh, which is uh, this uh, capacity to start out where uh, the beginnings, usually the uh, first slopes are pretty steep. In the first couple days, uh, you tire easily. Um, your knees, your back, uh, certainly uh, take a, take, it takes its toll. And then there's a process that begins, uh, a process which has to do uh, with um, this capacity to sitting down in remedial silence, watching everything, watching everything. And just in the simple uh, truth of watching everything, uh, this untangling uh, begins to happen. Uh, someone described it as, uh, I'm not sure, it's, I'm, I'm not too much into movies and stuff, but it was uh, about Christmas lights uh, all uh, wound up in a big uh, ball and uh, that somehow, even though it's lit up, that we have to untangle uh, those uh, Christmas lights, you know, and uh, kind of straighten them out. And so they talk about this kind of internal trekking or external trekking, this kind of uh, journey that we're doing here. Uh, as a purification process, that it, it's here untangling and it has the nature to change us, to uh, pull out the Sometimes it's just confusion or old stories or our relationship to uh, sometimes uh, our pain or our work or our fears, our hopes. For me on this journey, it was, uh, it 
was uh, something I had actually collected lots of different people's hair and uh, wishes and uh, um, I, I even had uh, ashes from uh, Quilly's son with me that was taken on to the mountain. And so I felt like I was carrying all, and just like you, I was carrying all, all the people that are behind you. You know, you're not here alone. Uh, it seems that way sometimes, but actually uh, we're uh, not. We're uh, connected. Uh, there, it's all intertwined in some way. And this untangling uh, uh, happens uh, sometimes breath by breath or step by step. Uh, that when we actually can um, feel it, uh, then actually, in some ways, we can heal it. So I had a lot riding on this journey that uh, I didn't realize how much I had riding on it. And uh, one of the beauties is I've always believed that somehow there's, uh, in pilgrimage, there's some forces, uh, natural forces, that when we align ourselves, uh, that um, things uh, happen. And in this case, uh, the fact that uh, we even got in, uh, we were the only people that got in for in a year and a half uh, to go up uh, this way through uh, Nepal. It was quite complicated uh, to bring crews from uh, Nepal into Tibet, uh, which was uh, sort of held by uh, the, um, what, uh, some of the Tibetan uh, what Chinese bureaucracy. And um, so it was really, uh, I had no idea what I was getting into, a high adventure in some ways. And uh, the first, uh, after it was seven, eight days, uh, as we were climbing the pass to go into Tibet, uh, I got an abscess tooth uh, at high altitude. That's not uncommon. Um, when a tooth is dying and there's, you know, as you go up, the, the uh, air gets thinner. And so um, if, and the blood vein's very small, so if there's any decay or bubbles that happen there, uh, they can't get uh, dissolved, so they expand as you go up. And so it uh, creates um, pain, uh, lots of pain, <laughs> you know, big time pain. And it seems like that was, that's been sort of the beginning of a whole lot of teachings that have been going on for me uh, for, it seems, months now. <laughs> I was saying, you know, isn't it numbers comes in threes or whatever, but... Um, I also, I've been looking at how this, the whole Dharma works in this process and how uh, the attitude we bring even to that kind of experience. Um, certainly it was debilitating and, and um, that, that particular pass that you go over, Narla Pass there, uh, was so poignant because this is the pass that the Tibetans, a lot of times when they escape, they have to come over those mountains to get to... Uh, uh, Dharamsala, India, where His Holiness um, and the uh, Tibetan government in exile is. And they lose fingers and toes and, and uh, just terrible catastrophes happen on that uh, particular uh, 
uh, pass, you know, and uh, there's only a single bridge at the bottom that they can cross, and I'm not sure how they get across to get out. Uh, so you feel like it, it, this is not just mine. Uh, this is part of a collective, you know, and it felt like that was, that's, that from some place this was about a collective that had been happening. And I was just, you know, another piece in that, uh, uh, in that physical, um, what, uh, place on the planet, you know. But then, uh, some days later, we ended up uh, at Mount Kailash, and they call it the Kora. It's a circumambulation that you go around this 53 kilometers. And... Um, uh, the beginning of it was so moving to me. I finally made it there, and my uh, the antibiotics and everything had working, and and uh, uh, the pain had lessened, and um, I was ready to go. Uh, except for uh, my boots were falling apart, so I had. Uh, it was very strange. We thought of bringing them back to Spirit Rock, and and. Uh, uh, maybe putting them up for auction. They look very weird with, uh, you know, the duct tape and the glue and the, <laughs> all the uh, things that go with uh, uh, mountain reparation. You know, I didn't get down to t trying ropes, but uh, close enough. Um, and then uh, we started the circumambulation, and uh, I just, as we start, I just began to cry. You know, it felt like, oh, this this was the culmination of some of this had been thousands and hundreds of thousands of people uh, had brought their faith to this mountain. It's, it's this, they call it the Crystal Mountain. And that for, uh, you know, thousands of years, uh, people had circumambulated this mountain one direction or the other. And the uh, physical impact of being uh, at uh, over 15,000 feet where the plateau is and uh, to begin this uh, circumambulation uh, was so moving. And what began was this process of um, purification and, and it started with uh, this whole process, which we didn't really start this retreat, but I think is so um, important in how uh, we live and hold the world. And it really has to do with uh, this simple thing of forgiveness. You know? And for me, all the people that I had, that harmed me and I had harmed, they just, it, it was almost like these pictures of people and stories that I hadn't thought of for years, back to high school, you know, and, and, <laughs> and uh, really when I, I really had sort of another life. Uh, before I began uh, what I call, you know, it's been over 40 years of pilgrimage. Uh, but prior to that, and, and family and complications like we all have. And I began this process of just kind of um, allowing myself to, I'd walk alone for periods of time, and I'd just cry. You know, I just, I realized how um, vulnerable, you know, uh, this human condition is and how you know, many times I had harmed others because they harmed me, or uh, it was all mixed in. You know, there wasn't one, one thing. 
And the hardest piece was they went through different people, and then I started realizing how uh, this, this inner critic, this judge, that somehow um, that I still carried, I thought I had worked on so well. You know? And I'd done such a, you know, I'd spent all this money in therapy and all this stuff, and, and I'd sat so many retreats, and I had done all these things. And still in there was this, you know, uh, sort of little kid that didn't uh, really believe. You know, didn't believe. I had accomplished so much in my life, I felt like, you know, how could I um, still uh, carry uh, the uh, it's really a kind of ferociousness, you know. And I had to kind of work on that one, you know, for myself, you know. In the meantime, my boots were kind of flapping, and, and um, uh, it was nice because there was 21 people, and, and at this point, everybody was fairly spread out. We had, we had changed from a zooks, uh, which is a half cow, half yak, to these full, huge beasts, these yaks that were, uh, I mean, they are, they look prehistoric, you know, but uh, they're a little hard to maneuver. Also, <laughs> uh, and the Tibetans that were our herders uh, were—they uh, were pretty wild guys, you know. I mean, uh, they're definitely um, another breed, you know. Uh, from the uh, much—I uh, don't know—the Nepalis are much kinder and stuff in their approach to us, but they were definitely uh, more uh, wild uh, men. And we finally uh, got up, this was to the north face of Kailash, uh, which is a little over halfway around it. And um, it was snowing and uh, uh, very cold. And uh, the uh, community uh, was uh, somewhat losing steam at this time after um, uh, the kind of hardships we had been through. And actually, I think all the kind of purification had gone on. And, and uh, where we got to was, uh, in this north face, was uh, my hero's cave. And uh, uh, he is uh, probably Tibet's greatest saint and poet uh, named Mila Repa. And uh, we got there, and at that point, um, I, uh, we were at 16-something, and, and uh, I began actually to get uh, altitude uh, sickness. And my shoes were falling apart, and uh, I uh, realized I probably couldn't go on. And that uh, the next pass, uh, they, the herders said that uh, they would not take our yaks over the top, uh, simply because the snow was too deep, and if, uh, if a yak broke its leg, uh, they wanted to uh, charge us a thousand dollars per yak, and so it was pretty clear that uh, there would only be a, a small crew that would uh, uh, go on. And, and uh, fortunately, one of those was my son, who actually carried uh, Quilly's uh, son's ashes uh, up to the top of the pass, where um, 
the what they say the the prayers uh, go directly uh, to nibbana. Does that sound great? So um, at this point, though, I uh, we spent the night, and I had the privilege of going into this temple where the cave was and teaching. And uh, the, it was great because it was a, it was a Karjupa monastery, and, and um, just a little story of that. Uh, right down at the end of this road uh, in the 60s, uh, I uh, got sick and uh, had a vision of a Tibetan. I didn't know it was a Tibetan, the Karmapa that led me actually to uh, uh, India overland in the 60s. And uh, who was the first teacher I met? And um, and this monastery was uh, to his predecessor, the 17th Karmapa, who was about 23 years old. And uh, now you cannot. Uh, one of the things at the border, where we were checked before we went uh, to be checked uh, by the Chinese, the the our guides and everything went through all of our luggage to make sure there were no pictures of His, His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Uh, that was uh, a requirement. Or any books with lamas on them uh, had to be left or uh, uh, hidden uh, due to the, the laws there. But we went into this temple, and because uh, it is sort of a, a national Chinese uh, pilgrimage spot, Mount Kailash, uh, I don't think they go in there. And there was a huge three-foot picture of uh, the 17th Karmapa on this throne, you know. And, uh, and so we went in and, and uh, it was, uh, well, they brought out conches and did all this stuff and everything. And then I got to sit with, you know, by then it was like two hats on and, and uh, you know, all these coats. It, it sort of looked like, uh, you know, I don't know, some kind of, uh, what's it, Atlas Man or something, you know. <laughs> Uh, with all this gear on, and um, and I had a very specific thing I wanted to teach, and I wanted to just offer this to you because I felt that it was um, kind of the quintessentials when uh, when we're just hanging out here and, and we recognize that uh, we're these complex beings that are untangling these uh, what Christmas lights that have held us somehow uh, in captivity for periods of time. Uh, what it's like when they're somewhat gone. And they talk about it in three, uh, kind of three uh, fashions. And the first word that's used is this word luminosity. And it has to do with when the mind uh, um, uh, surrenders or gives up. Uh, to its constant, uh, you know, uh, need to control or make up or judge or hold in any way. You know, it's not that uh, thoughts are good or bad. They're just thoughts. Uh, and when they're left alone, uh, we don't interfere with them and leave them as they are. Then the whole... Um, uh, sense experience of things has a brightness to it. Uh, and through this 
process of uh, kind of untangling those Christmas lights, then uh, whether it's seeing or hearing or smelling or tasting, there is uh, a brightness, a luminosity, a lightness uh, that is uh, nameable and palatable and something that is that needs to be acknowledged. You know. uh, and that, I believe, uh, for me, uh, when that noticing is there and that acknowledging and naming, that it's something that uh, I can keep remembering uh, as part of the Uh, the fullness or the width of this mindfulness, that it has uh, that as part of it. And so it's something just to acknowledge and name. And, uh, it's not a big thing. It's just important that we don't skip over it, okay? That we actually acknowledge that and uh, make that uh, a recognizable uh, part just as um, sometimes aspects of uh, emotions or uh, different uh, uh, confusion and uh, fog and unclarity happen. So this one piece is just the capacity that that's available to us and it's there. And it's not going to be there all the time, it's just for moments. But when it's there, uh, know it. No, knowledge. Oh, uh, this too is uh, part of my experience. And it's very much about the clarity of mind. So I'll just say, and has uh, uh, very much uh, uh, it rests very much on that. Uh, the second one, uh, they use the word spaciousness. Uh, spaciousness uh, to me has a lot to do uh, with, just as you sit here, uh, as there can be a brightness or luminosity with things, there can be this wide holding, you know, that you're not just kind of caught in this physical body in some way, but there is a, a, a vast kind of space around you. Uh, and that space has a sense of openness or a sense of kindness that is inherent uh, in inclusion, of including what's around you. Uh, so you can sit and actually uh, allow uh, the person behind you and to the side of you and, and uh, in front of you uh, to uh, not be separate from uh, your experience. It's, it's Actually, you are connected to them, you know, in that uh, truth of the, this kind of open-hearted spaciousness uh, that's holding um, when we're not interfering, when we're actually just um, uh, resting in the way. Uh, the way things are. 
uh, that natural spaciousness is there. Uh, the third of these really, uh, you could say, uh, qualities which has to do with the body. And they use the word ease. And what's been interesting to me is to actually explore what is that from a, a, a more of a awakened state. And uh, the fact that uh, there is uh, the moment that one can put one's attention on anywhere in the body. You put your attention on your, you know, on your butt right now. It's always a good place to go uh, ground, you know, whether you're on a bench or a chair or a pillow. And that uh, there is first when the mind makes that connection. Uh, there is the awareness of sensation. You know. Now, you could just leave it at that, which is fine. It would just simply be noting the qualities of that experience in the sense of, of uh, just that contact. But there is also a flavor that goes with that when that connection is made. And it's something I feel like the luminosity or this capacity of opening the heart and holding a larger space, the spaciousness. There is also the capacity to actually notice that when the mind connects with the body in that way, there is a sense of ease. You know, when that connection is there, it specifically is uh, what just something that uh, is, is just true, just is. You know, and all three of these are things that uh, we can train towards uh, in bringing a, a, a kind of positive uh, as you untangle kind of the, I'm using Christmas lights, I have no idea, but anyway, uh, <laughs> as you untangle it, because it's a purification process. There's less in the way. And less in the way, uh, I believe, uh, also those things that can support us as we um, work in this retreat. Uh, that, that maybe they're just moments where you may get caught up in your stories or whatever's going on. Uh, but there's also this that's available. Uh, my love for Milarepa, the, uh, the poet, uh, the wonderful. Uh, there are two of my favorite people have been uh, Milarepa, the... the uh, what his, uh, it was just his story, and I'll tell you why I'm attached uh, somewhat to his story, is that uh, uh, when I went to India, um, uh, just before I went to India, my mother was killed in a cracks in Italy in a head-on collision, and she lived in Switzerland. And... Um, uh, she um, left uh, some money and stuff, which uh, my sister and I, and uh, I took off uh, as a, a vagrant, wanderer, pilgrim, uh, looking for some solace uh, in India in the 60s, you know, coming out of the kind of craziness of uh, San Francisco and um, mind-altering um, whatever. 
<laughs> no. Well, if you were there, if you were, what is it? If you were there, you don't remember. I don't remember. Anyway, <laughs> you know the you know the the drill. Anyway, um, but I spent many years in Asia uh, until actually when I when I came back, I I and my aunt who. Um, and because it was in Switzerland, there was no probate, so it had all come to her, and she uh, was, uh, you know, what I thought well to do. And they had some car dealership or something, and and uh, so she was the what's it called, executrix of the will. And uh, I came back, and all those years, I thought I come back, and I actually went up and one of teachers, Ruth Dennison, uh, I went up for a retreat, and then I went up. And I found this beautiful piece of property, an apple orchard, uh, on the Columbia Gorge on the side of Mount Hood. And I was going. To, I said, "Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to take and use this inheritance finally for that." But what I didn't know was that uh, she had uh, had uh, my uncle had been an alcoholic, and and uh, they had um, basically squandered all the money, and there wasn't a dime, you know. So it was this kind of wake up, and if you read the story of Milarepa, that's sort of he had his lands, and, and his aunt sort of took that. And so I had this, uh, when that all came down, this uh, more love for him than I had before, uh, <laughs> for his experience of, uh, of uh, difficulty, you know. And um, And I wanted to read, uh, this is actually from uh, one of his, uh, what disciples that really followed him was named Shabkar, who also was a poet. And, and these yogis, they, uh, they seem to travel all over uh, when you read the life of Shabkar. And he was truly um, inspiring awakened person who acknowledged that luminosity and acknowledged that kind of spaciousness and this, uh, uh, this truth around ease, which is something that, you know, in a sense, I think we all, this awakening, all long for on some level. So I'll read a, a, this is a, the source of phenomena of samsara and nirvana is the true nature of one's own mind, an immense expanse that is an empty brilliance, completely free from taking things as real. This I have realized. If I looked toward the one who realizes this, one's own awareness, it is like the sky, set free, beyond clinging, in the unborn expanse of the ultimate nature of mind. The ultimate nature of mind. And there's so much about the fact that the sitting has uh, what these, this struggle in it that comes in all this effort. Uh, but there's also the possibility uh, for you to, 
and kind of put down the burden and let it go. You know, uh, we carry so much anxiousness and kind of our neurosis and our uh, uh, self-limiting on some level. But that's not who you are. No. Uh, uh, truly, when you can stop and listen and kind of get through all this complexity of who we believe we are and how it all happened and who we might be, uh, there is a, kind of a simple, uh, a simple truth here. Uh, and it is um, simply says that I mean sometimes it's translated as Buddha nature, but I like this translation of just your basic goodness. You know, can you ultimately kind of surrender and begin to trust that if You're not a problem. No. Uh, you're actually this uh, luminosity, this heart that uh, is truly fearless. And that you know, uh, you know in the sense that uh, What percent of the fear that you hold is made up? How often does, uh, you know, the tiger come to the cave? And how much of the time uh, have you uh, made up the tiger? Read a little more. Shop car here. He's such a sometimes. Uh, uh, when I stay, I have nothing to be attached to. When I leave, I have nothing to leave behind. Wherever I am, no one says, "Where have you been?" <laughs> Where are you going? I, the renunciate yogi, am happy and sing a song of joy. I have raised my head and seen the cloudless sky. It made me think of absolute, boundless space. I have felt a freedom without middle or end free of any particular views. I have seen the world and living beings as possessing the same nature. The Buddha nature which has awoken in me, which is naturally present in all beings, I have known this state of freedom.
from attraction and repulsion, from the hope of reaping the fruit and the fear of failure. I have let go. Beautiful. And uh, I guess I just want to encourage you. No. It's not so far away. No. Another uh, aspect of this kind of support of this letting go, this kind of freedom, uh, is appreciation. You know, I uh, feel like this, I don't know, it seems like months now, uh, things have not been easy for me. Uh, and I think it's been a great opportunity to uh, appreciate and um, learn a lot about gratitude and um, uh, interesting enough this word sympathetic joy uh, being um, happy in realizing that somehow in my deepest suffering uh, uh, there was a world experiencing themselves and that they can do that you can see and you can smell and you can hear you have your senses your six senses it's such a fleeting opportunity And you should give yourself a lot of credit and a lot of kindness. And um, when I start out and I talk about forgiveness, you need a lot of forgiveness for yourself. It's okay. It's not truly who you are. So uh, you need to work on that. And then the luminosity, the spaciousness, and this ease. They're yours. And I've loved this coming here this time uh, in not the greatest shape. Uh, And I have healed so much while I was here. Just, I feel so much stronger and together and I attribute a lot to uh, my appreciation of uh, my wonderful colleagues here, Uh, Gil and Mary Grace and, you know, Quilly and uh, just uh, Mary and Anna and uh, May Rob, just uh, such great kindness, you know. And Heather, <laughs> you know, she's been taking care of me for some time now. I, uh, appreciation, though, you know, 
gratitude and it's bigger than that because this is about this whole process of awakening and I just want to encourage you you know don't give up it gets sometimes it gets pretty thick in there you know or you get kind of confused or you you know you have doubt about us or how this all works and um, I can just say you know this is ultimately about freedom. Uh, freedom uh, that is already inherently in you. Um, uh, uh, but needs to be recognized, encouraged. And sometimes you're just untangling you know, Christmas tree lights. It's okay too, but I'm here to say, don't forget where we're going with all this. So I'll end here with my poem, Pilgrimage Towards Awakening. So why would I want to climb this mountain? Maybe it was yesterday, last week, last month, last year, sometime long ago, long before now. A lightning bolt cut through the darkness of mind's eternal chatter, revealing a majestic snow-covered peak, somehow not knowing if it was real or a dream, some impulse deep down, knowing no time to waste. This heart frozen, mind enmeshed in fog, body not to be found. Knowing this harsh need to change us was at hand. Sitting down in remedial silence, watching everything, like sages, seers, seekers, Listening, listening, breathing, fidgeting. Thoughts like streams of every color darting off, landing nowhere. Was it five days, nine days, waiting for that inner compass, that trusted voiceless instinct, like a sleepwalker, surrendering the mind to the heart? Humbly walking without seeing, zero visibility, but heart knowing its way. Nervously letting ourselves down on this old path, trodden by so many courageous ones. Letting go of the ground we stand on. Nervously clinging day after day, breath after breath. So for one moment, the breath, breathe all beings, just for one moment, the breath, breathe all beings, yes, 
You were always whole. The mountain was you, after all. for your attention, your wisdom, your heart. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.